Let's talk about God. I don't know how to introduce it. I don't know what to say. Let's talk about God. You, you shouldn't change your intro. It's your trademark. I just feel like I got to do something different. That's okay. I was sitting here and I folded my leg up under the chair and my quad cramped up. And so oh. I'm sitting here trying to stretch it out. So everybody listening right now is probably laughing because I'm sitting here going, ah, <laughs> you, you stretch your leg out. <laughs> so I don't care what you say right now. I'm just trying to get rid of the pain. <laughs> Wow, uh, that's that's I'm hilarious. Okay. I'm all right now. You'll make it through. We'll I'll make pray it through. for you. I'm okay. I just keep my legs straight. We'll fast and pray for you. We already talked like about last that. episode. So. That's right. Anyways, hope so it's I, been a good good new year. Yeah, how's it good going January? for you? Oh, it's great. It's okay. fantastic. Living life. Living life. Everything's going good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Same here. It's a new year. We're at it. We're at it. We hit it hard. I always don't know what to say to these things because we've just been talking this whole time before. It's not like we never see each other. No, we do see each other, but that's good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life because you got stuff going on. I mean, I got stuff going on, so there's always, always something happening. Oh man, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I've been seeing all these funny like Baby Yoda memes and jokes <laughs> and whatever else. Please tell me y'all have watched The Mandalorian. If you're listening, The Mandalorian. I gotta, I gotta try it. I haven't watched it yet, so it's too many people. Okay, it's a fantastic show, by the way. But so many people try and play like it's, like it's slow or something. It's, it's not, not slow. It hasn't had good reviews. At least early on, it didn't. Are you serious? By some people, some people have just said it's not that good. Majority of people like it. Okay, I was just laughing because I saw this guy who who posts like funny. Like he's he's joking as a Christian. He posted a picture of Baby Yoda. He said, "I know he's cute, y'all, but we've got to be careful." Of course, they're making him cute. That's how these things sneak in. A demon is a demon, even if it's a baby alien demon. That's really sweet. But people are calling him Baby Yoda. One letter off from yoga. <laughs> this guy pissed him. He's not serious. He said, no, he said it's all Eastern <laughs> agreements, y'all. Be careful. I know he looks sweet. Uh, <laughs> And some of the people out there are going, Baby Yoda, what is that? Yoda was in Star Wars, okay? <laughs> the little green guy with the pointy ears that could fight and train Luke Skywalker. Well, then in the Mandalorian, who's a bounty hunter, they got Baby Yoda. This is, he's like of the same race. He's, but not, he's, not, Yoda. he's not Yoda from Star Wars. Yeah. He's a different. My favorite meme of that has been they showed a little Amish boy with a big broad-rimmed hat and the little boy, and they called him Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So that's a good one. Oh man! How are we going to come from this into the holiness of God? We need to. Because we need to stay away from yoga and baby demon baby Yoda, who would make us unholy. Yes. Right. Anyway. Today we're talking about God's. Holiness, which is a serious topic, very serious, serious topic, fact, uh, great topic, very deep topic. But one of the key components—I don't even want to say components. God is—he is not simple. A he is not a machine. Um, it, it, it is one of the key attributes of God, yeah, characteristics yeah. of God. Um, that some we would need say to know about. the key. Yeah, depending on how you view it, because some would say that it is more all-encompassing. Yeah, that it is almost God's character yeah and all can, the other attributes yeah. fall within the scope of the holiness of god his omniscience his mm. omnipotence his omnipresence Everything. is that it that it all all of those together 
create or define holiness. The holiness of God. Well, let's let's give our thirty second definition. I, I usually like write my own, but I just really liked this one while I was studying. So the Lexham Theological Word Book defines it like this, and I just thought it was great. Holiness refers primarily to the quality of God, denoting his transcendent apartness from the rest of creation, his uniqueness, and his total purity. So in short, it is God's set-apartness. I think that's a really good definition, and we're going to have to spend some time on, on the two parts of that um, that are there. Um, mine is is a kind of a two-parter, that it's it's his, he's separate from all that is unclean and evil, and he's positively pure. And yeah. so that's part one. Yeah. And that he is distinctly different from all creation. Mm. He's, so that, he, he's other than yeah. what we are. Yeah. And that is why people could say that God's holiness is all encompassing because it is his otherness. He's all powerful. Everything. I'm not. He's yeah. all knowing. I'm not. He's always present. I'm not. Mm-hmm. He's infinite. I'm not. He's eternal. I'm not. He's unchanging. I'm not. Mm-hmm. You just there's no God like Jehovah. Yeah. I mean, who is like, who is like the Lord? There's scriptures, who is like the Lord? And that's the the whole point in, in that he's uniquely different and so many ways because he's the creator. I'm the created. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can just keep going here. Well, that's actually, that's about to be our first point. <laughs> right. And so, and so that's what makes him different. And then the ultimate difference is that I'm a sinner. He's not, mm-hmm. I'm impure, but he's, absolutely totally sinless and pure yeah and righteous so again you start taking all the attributes of god and it, the, together they reinforce the holiness of god the otherness of god the purity of god yeah even if you want to take his attributes his love is a holy love his grace is a holy grace because it's set apart it's well, pure it's different it's his, unlike his, anything else his it's name unique. there's no name like his name yeah there's no name his name, Jesus has been given a name that is above all names, mm-hmm. that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And it's because there is no name. I mean, there might be a lot of people named Jesus, but you're not Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You might you might copy his name, but that, that doesn't mean that your name carries the weight, the power, the, the prestige, the authority that his name does. Nobody's name does. And God's holiness is, is so key and so defining. It's often used in an act of worship. So like we see the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, well, know, the Bible... The Lord it, of hosts, yeah. What, what's written on the front of a lot of Bibles? The Holy Bible. Yeah. And it's because that book, there's no book like that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no book. Shakespeare can't match it. No work of antiquity can match it. Homer's Iliad or Odyssey isn't even remotely close. There, It is because it is God's word. Mm-hmm. So it is distinctly different from any other book. The Quran can't match it. That's a work of man and and nothing. No yeah. no the, no no work of man can come close to it because that is not the work of man. It, it is the inspired word of God. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, that maybe those kind of things help take us back to yeah. why God whatever he is not only who he is but what he does. Well, you're just yeah, you're skipping ahead. You're giving us I the am. summary. I need to stop. I need to stop because I'm going to get ahead. We're going to talk about all of this in this episode, but let's go ahead and start with God's, you know, apartness. 
from the rest of creation, his holiness from the rest of creation, that he is unlike anything else. So God's unlike the rest of creation because, well, he's not created. Uh, who's like the Lord? No one. First Samuel 2, 2 says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There's no one beside God. There's no one on the same level as God. There's well, no one to even compare to him. He is totally unique. No, and you're exactly right. And and I I don't want to skip by Isaiah six. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I just I know you made a note of that. And you made reference to it. But I, to me, I think that's pretty significant. Yeah. And a lot of people in the church know that story. If you don't know the story, if you go to the 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 book of Isaiah in the Old Testament chapter six. Isaiah gets caught up in the spirit and has a vision. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up in, in the train of his, of his presence filled the temple. Mm-hmm. So he's in, in a vision in the temple, seeing God s- seated upon a throne and yeah. glory. And then he sees these seraphim, these angelic style beings, and he describes them. And, and he says they are, they are creating a worship experience. Yeah. And what is what they're saying, as you said, is they're crying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty." The whole earth is filled with His glory, um, uh, and and we see this again in Revelation yeah. with cherubim. John mm-hmm. kind of sees the same kind of vision. Well, what I've I've always said about there is they're not crying out, "Omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent is the Lord God." Omniscient, omniscient, omniscient is the Lord God Almighty. Immutable, immutable, immutable mm-hmm. is the Lord God. Creator, creator, creator. They're not picking any of those. They're Choose saying holy. holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what is being cried in heaven for God. And that's why we started this episode so passionately saying it's kind of like the all-encompassing yeah. word for who God is and what he does because— uh, in heaven, that's what's that's what's focused on. Mm-hmm. That he is distinctly different because of all those things, and he is pure and righteous and good and sinless. Mm-hmm. And that's what's emphasis. That's what the angels see. Yeah, I put it this way: if you're in heaven and you're standing before God, what are you going to see? That's what you're going to see, and it leads you to worship. It's a reason to worship God's otherness. Is why we worship. It's him. why we worship it. We, mm-hmm. Look, um, yeah. Let's just have fun. Let's just fly over the map today. <laughs> we got no. Let's fly over the map. Um, there are people who are collectors who will spend stupid amounts of money to buy a piece of art or a coin or a paraphernalia that is unique. Yeah. Okay. So if it's a Rembrandt, if it's um, if it's Picasso, uh, yeah, Picasso. If it's if it's that stamp that was the plane upside down. There's only there's only a handful. Um, the uh, uh, the the Duesenberg was it the Duesenberg whatever the the car was. They only made like six hundred and something. I think it was a mm. Duesenberg. I mean, people will spend an enormous amount of money to get a Duesenberg because there's only six hundred something. It's unique. Yeah. So we understand. And why would they spend all that money? Because they value it. It yeah. has worth-ship to them. Yeah. Because worship is worth, with a T-H, worth-ship. And so we we place a high value on it. Why will somebody pay 
$200 to go to a Taylor Swift concert or however much you pay. I mean, you pay a lot you of money. A lot more to, than that. You pay a lot more than that. You pay $200 to send the upper deck. Okay, just to go to a Taylor Swift because they just value and yeah. they, that she's just the most awesome thing in the world, and that experience is worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So th- we understand it from a human perspective. Well, what if you have just one of a kind that there is no other? Mm-hmm. There isn't six, 600 of them. There's just one. It's God. He, there is no one or anything else in any of all creation that matches him and his worthship. Yeah. That's why you should worship God. That's why they worship God in his holiness, because he is uniquely different mm-hmm. from any of it. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go into preacher bona. And that's why if you come to church and stick your hands in your pocket, stand there while everybody else is singing and the praise team is trying, and you don't. You that that is that is unacceptable. I'm just going to be. I will, I will I will be strong on it. That is unacceptable because we are focusing on the holy God, the unique, one of a kind God who created you and gave you life. And if He saved you, changed you, and radically transformed you, and has made you right with Him, and to stand there with your hands in your pocket and not do anything, you don't have a correct understanding of God's holiness. And it's an ingratitude. Really it's yeah. ingratitude. It's ingratitude and, and lack of recognition mm-hmm. that he is he's worth you getting your hands up. He is worth you singing that song, even if it sounds horrible. It is <laughs> worth you saying, God, I love you, and I worship you, and I lift you up, because he is God, and yeah. he is holy. God is, is alone holy, and if anything else is even said to be holy, it's because it came from God, and God made it holy. Yeah. Like uh, Revelation 15, 4 says, um, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Mm-hmm. And so there, there we again, the nations will come and worship you. Um, why? Because you alone are holy. God reveals his holiness even in his righteous acts. Um, and then Leviticus twenty two thirty two, and you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. God's name and everything associated with him is holy. Mm-hmm. And then Jeremiah 23, 9, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. So God's words are holy. So God is holy, but his name, his words, his acts you know, the things that come from him are holy. And I love that description. I'm like a man overcome with wine. I'm like a drunken man because of your holy words. Like I'm beside myself because of how powerful your words are. And so that's pretty great. um, You know, that's God's holiness is found in the things that come from him as well, because he alone is holy. Um, And you mentioned this earlier, too, and I think this is important. God sets himself apart as greater than the finger quotes gods of the world. And this was especially necessary in that pluralistic culture, both in the ancient Near East and Old Testament times and the Greco-Roman world in the New Testament times, where there was an idolatrous culture. They thought there were a bunch of different gods around. Um, God set himself apart as you know, greater than all of the gods. Exodus fifteen thirteen says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so I kind of wrote this note down. What's God's primary otherness in comparison to God's 
Um, there's all kinds of different things, but one of those is that he's real. He's <laughs> real. He's alive. Not, yeah, he, and he does mighty acts. Yeah, he's living. Yeah. <laughs> so we see God who um, still does miracles today. We see God who can turn sinners into saints. We see God who can transform whole nations. Like our God actually does stuff, and that makes him greater than all of the other gods. Yeah, because they're not real. Yeah. They're, they're There's just nothing. pieces of wood and stone, or yeah. or if, you know, today we set up people as gods, we mm-hmm. set up events as gods, recreations as gods. I've known people that uh, thinking of a guy right now that used to come to church here, but he loves to fish on Sunday morning, and he's backslidden, and he's he doesn't live right, and um, you can't get him to come to church because for him, church is that boat, and that God is a bass. Yeah, that's his God. That's what he worships. Mm-hmm. He values that more than living for Jesus or. Or serving God or going to heaven. I guess he he just wants to fish his way to you know to eternity and and it's yeah. not going to be heaven. But but we have idols today, mm-hmm. and we think that they're worth more than anybody or anything else, and we put them before God. And if you remember the first commandment, the Ten Commandments, I think is based on the holiness of God. You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, because I am holy. There's no other God like me. Why, you know, well, there is no other God. Yeah, there is no other so God. So for you to pick any other God yeah. then is to, is, is to profane my holiness. Yeah. Uh, no one can compete with his holiness because yeah. no, one, no other God is real. And if you want a reason to serve God, I mean, one, no other God is a God. It's, it's not real. But two, anything in this world, they even make an idol out of pales in comparison to the holiness of God. Yeah. I think we I think we like to make our idols because ultimately we can control them. Mm-hmm. We can yeah. control them. We can create our own religion. We could create, you know, I've heard people say, I'm going to go back to this guy in the bass, but well, that's my church. I go out there and I'm closer to God than if I go to church. <laughs> it's just a bunch of baloney. Yeah. I mean, it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. I mean, I can go out and fish and hunt and I can feel the presence of God, but that's not that's not being with God. That's not mm-hmm. that's a moment being with God, but that's not the same as coming to the house of God, being with the people of God and the manifested presence and power mm-hmm. of God. That's, that's something that he specifically has described. And 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 if you're not living right, it's, it's really a farce. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, because you 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 should be living right. But anyway, yeah. I sound like I'm a pastor, don't I'm a preacher. Well, I think that's good though. Like God demands um obedience because of his holiness, because of his authority to do so because everything else comes from him and it's a reason why we should want to obey we should want to worship want to be a part of his kingdom and he's our creator yeah i mean the creator used to tell the created what to do what to do and it's not like an authority thing it's because i created you Mm -hmm. for a specific purpose you got to fulfill that purpose yeah okay so if i create a product but i try to use that product in a way that it's not meant to be used it's it's going to tear it up it's going to damage it and dirty it and 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 break it, and that's what sin does yeah. and a lifestyle of sin. And God said, I didn't create you to live in sin. I created you to be like me. We're going to have it. I yeah. created you to be holy like me yeah. for, for a unique purpose. And then when you don't live it and you live in sin, then that's why your life gets torn up mm-hmm. and broken apart and marriage gets broken down. You end up in jail and get in addictions and bondages. Just keep let the list keep yeah. going on. It's because you're not... You're not, and so he gets to tell us what to do because he made us. And I think that goes into the next point is that when a lot of people think of God's holiness, they don't think completely of his otherness. And that's why we wanted to start with that. But you think of his moral purity, which is a really important component of God's holiness, is that he is morally and ethically pure and different 
than the rest of the world. So like Habakkuk one thirteen says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Like God is so opposite of evil, so opposite of wrong. You know, he's saying he, he doesn't even look at it, you know, and that's probably, uh, you know, metaphorical language. It's not like God can't see the evil in the world, but he's just so different from the evil. That's what he's trying to say. Absolutely. Um, in giving his people the law, in giving Israel the law, God commands his people, be holy for I am holy. And so it's clear that God himself associates his own morality with his holiness. So after giving the way of life, the code of, 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 of holiness, his morality, he says, this is what holiness means and be like me, your father, your God. And let's be practical. Okay, so that, that was the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. All right. If you're a sinner, just think it through. If you're a sinner, you break the Ten Commandments. If you don't break them literally, you break them in spirit. Yeah. Okay, and I don't have time to go into all that. But everybody breaks the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. If you don't kill somebody, you may have said, I wish they were dead. You hated somebody so much, you wish they were dead. We've all broken. Everybody's lied. Everybody's lied at some point or been deceptive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Everybody's broken the Ten Commandments. All right. If you haven't broken all of them, you've broken enough of them. Mm -hmm. If you break one, you're a lawbreaker. Okay. Um, if you are saved and you keep the Ten Commandments, okay, that's different than living a life of sin. That That's why the morality is connected with the holiness, because when I'm saved and I live right, that's different from how I was when I was unsaved and I didn't live right. Mm-hmm. That's holiness. So it's connected, morality and differentiation. And it's separate from the rest of the world. It's separate from what everybody else is doing, basically. So I'm different from who I was. Yeah. Okay. I'm different because I live right, moral. I'm living morally correct. I'm different from the world because the world doesn't live right Mm -hmm. because I'm living morally correct. I'm like God because I'm, I'm different from what I used to be. I'm more like him, and I'm living according to his law and obeying mm-hmm. him, which is reflective of who he is. So, yeah, they go together. Yeah, they there's do. There's no doubt they tie together, and there's a practical side of it. You can see just in today how we live. Yeah. And so I, I think it's important to ask the question, how is God morally different from the world? I mean, you could go on for a really long time, but he's free from sin and sinfulness. He's good. He's merciful. He's just, righteous, patient, faithful. He's true. He's loving. He's anything that is good, anything that is right, anything that is holy to an infinite capacity. He is the opposite of the world. Yes. And I I think it's interesting when you look at it from like a New Testament perspective and even the Old Testament, um, but take like the, the Greek gods of mythology those gods, finger quotes, are often like human personas projected onto these mythological f- figures. And so they're, they're really sinful, they're angry, they're sexually immoral, they lie, they're deceptive, they're murderous, like all of these different things. And like you didn't want to be like them. And so for the Greeks worshiping their gods, it was trying to placate them. It was like, hey, I'm, let me bribe you. Let me give you this sacrifice to get something from you. Please don't punish us. That whole thing. They were gods to be feared, not in reverence, but in like literal fear. But when you put that up against the Christian God, um, his morality, his holiness, his way of life is just that much better. 
Why would you not want to join with a God who's going to treat you with justice, who's going to genuinely care about you, who's going to want to adopt you as a son or a daughter? Um, God's way of life is just that much better. And I feel like that um, that probably helped the spread of Christianity a little bit in the early world when you compare it against those gods. Anyways, his it was, holiness. It was so radically different. Yeah. It was so radically different. Yeah. And, and if you're going to talk about a moral code and then a demand to live that moral code, that comes a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to swallow when you see that it's coming from a God who is perfect, mm-hmm. morally perfect and pure, and that that code is not an abstract um, something that he pulls out of the air but that it actually flows from who he is. Mm-hmm. Okay? He is love. He is truth. That's why lying is wrong, because God is truth. Yeah. He doesn't just speak the truth. He's the personification, the fulfillment of truth. He is truth. So that's why lying is wrong. Being deceptive is wrong, because God is not doesn't lie. God mm-hmm. is not a man that he should lie, the Bible says. And so the moral code flows from who he is. You know, every precept has a principle. Every principle flows out of his person. Yeah. And that's why he says, be holy for I am holy. Yeah. He, is, he is that. Right. And we we model him. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, God's holiness fuels the purpose of basically everything. And I think this gets back into that all-encompassing that we're talking about. It's for God's holiness sake that he created the world because he's God and he can create. He's unique. Uh, he judges humanity because he's morally perfect. He's the righteous judge. The, the righteous judge. Yeah. He sent Jesus because he wants his people to be holy and to be like him. And he's so utterly unique. He can be God and take on uh, human nature. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ultimately, everything that he does fuels out of his holiness, his uniqueness, his moral, moral purity, his unique plan for the world. Uh, I think that all encompassing thing you, you, we can see it. It's a lens to see through. And and the, the great message of Christianity, and uh, we just celebrated Christmas, is that uh, you've heard me talk about this, and I, I'll, I use it oftentimes, especially when I'm, I'm teaching like our growth track class, that people think all roads lead to God. So Buddhism leads to God, and Islam leads mm-hmm. to God, and Christianity leads to God, and and it's a, it's a great concept if you're if you're a human being, it's a great humanistic concept. It's not, it's not true. Mm-hmm. All roads don't lead to God. That's not, that's not the understanding of the God. If you're going to talk about the God of the Bible, not a lot of times, because they, they want to say, oh, it's all the same God. Yeah. You know, all the different religions, but he's still the same. All, mm-hmm. We all worship the same God. Okay, well, then we need to go back and see what that one God says. And I think the Bible is probably the truest source, that, that's, which is a whole other subject. But for me, it's the truest source, if that's God's word. Okay, well, Here's the holiness of God. God never said you have to find a road or make a road and get to me. He said, I'm going to make a road and come to you. Mm-hmm. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. Yeah. Every other religion, is you, how do I get to God? What do I do? What do I have to do? And the uniqueness of God and the uniqueness of his son and the uniqueness of salvation is God says, I'm going to come to you. And so he comes to us in the form of a man yeah. and gives his life, dies on a cross three days later, comes out of a tomb goes back to heaven and says, I've made a way now for you to come to me. You couldn't get to me, but now you can come to me, but the only way you're going to come to me is through Jesus Christ, my son. God says, just let me be your Lord. 
Just let me be your God, but I've come to do all the work. Yeah. Just let me in your life. Yeah, by grace you're saved through faith. You just and, trust yeah. on what he's done and believe it. We've And we talked about this. We, Me and you talked about it. Me and Dr. Cribb talked about it in our Old Testament episode. God always did that. When he saved uh, Israel out of Egypt, he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, and then he gives him the Ten Commandments. Now serve me. I saved you. Now serve me. Yes. That's God's way of doing stuff. I showed up to you. You you didn't do anything. Yeah. And I saved you. Now serve me. And that is God's uniqueness. That's Yeah, that's great. Um, And I, I think this next point is really, really interesting because I just, I just don't think it's something we think through a lot. I don't know why we would. Um, I, I've labeled this section in my notes, God interacting with creation, God's holiness interacting with his creation, because I think this is just such a neat subject. Um, and, and we've mentioned this a, a little bit earlier. God makes something holy by his presence. So remember, nothing in itself is holy. God alone is holy. So he has to make something holy. A way that God makes something holy is literally by his presence. So in Exodus chapter 3, God shows up in the burning bush, and he's speaking to Moses, and he says, Moses, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Now, why is it holy ground? Was the dirt there intrinsically holy and separate and unique? Well, no. The one factor that made it holy was God was there. His presence was there. And when God's presence actually comes into contact with something, it makes it holy. And it's something to be revered and honored and recognized. Um, It's interesting that like the things, you know, God makes certain things holy and unholy things can make holy things unholy. I'm having a hard time saying that. Exodus 29, 37 says, In seven days seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. So it's interesting that something that is just an altar has been made holy, and then now anything that touches the altar becomes holy. God's transferring holiness to certain things. And then a New Testament example, which is really interesting, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. God's presence, God's designation can make things holy just by him being there. Yeah, uh, um you, we often talk about the profane or the common versus the holy. Mm-hmm. And that's what you were talking about in the Old Testament, where if you uh, something common touched the holy, then it became holy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was there was a um, there was a real emphasis by God on distinguishing the holy from the profane or common. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, I've been using the word profane, which is the root word of profanity. And one of the sins of profanity is if people take the words of God that are holy and powerful and distinct and specific f- for moral things and for the word, and then they break it down and make it common. That's mm-hmm. why to use the Lord's name in vain is you're not using it for a spirit. You're not calling on the Lord. You're not praying. You're not talking to his father. 
you're just using it as an empty cuss word mm-hmm. when somebody GDs and they're just they're just using it in a moment of frustration or meanness and they're just they're being profane. They're not yeah. they're taking God, the holy God of the universe, and using his name in a moment that's incredibly selfish and self-centered and and, and carnal and sinful. They're mad. You know, if a it, coach, it lowers the name of God. It lowers the name of God. So, you know, if a football coach is cussing out his players for doing something bad and GDing them, whatever he thinks he's doing, he's being profane. He's being mm-hmm. profane. He's, he's taking God in a football game to yell at a, a kid that he's upset because of the way he played, and he's, he's just taking the holy name of God for whatever reason. He learned it's learned behavior, whatever. Um, it, it, and I'm just picking one example. Yeah. Um, you, that's being profane. I mean, you're supposed to reverence the name of God. I think, and I, I think this is something that's kind of lost on us as a culture because we're very like informal now, and there's we there's not a whole lot of understanding of honor. And so you, you know, you you're using an extreme example. What if just take something like saying "Oh my God" or something happens, and you go "Jesus." Well, that's it's like it's, yeah. you know, it's not like you're saying like traditional cuss word. And you might say, "Well, why is why is that wrong?" And it's like, okay, you're probably not actually calling on God, and you're taking this holy, powerful, awesome name, and then there's a person behind that name and lowering him to just an expression when you're frustrated. And it's funny because that was you took the words <laughs> out of my mouth because that that was about to say it is the, the most common one in the American culture is, oh, my God. Yes. And people say it like that. And what's, what's here's the irony. So people who are not saved, who care nothing about God— We'll say, "Oh my God!" Well, he's not your God, <laughs> but you. So he's not. Yeah. Oh my God, he's not your God. Yeah. Stop saying, "Oh my God," he's not your God. But you don't mean it as your God. You're using it in an empty filler. It's, it's a something. filler for a moment when you're you're shocked or upset, yeah. or overwhelmed. Oh my God, O M G, and O M G, and now stop it. Yeah, okay, because he's not. You're taking the the name of God and you're making it common. Okay, and I preached a sermon this one time, and my church, the church got, we had this thing for a while. I said, stop. I said, use my name. If you want to get upset, say, oh, my Chris. Well, then we had this thing for a while that people were OMC. saying, OMC, oh, my Chris. And we had this thing. I said, use my name. Okay, yeah. my name's common. Use my name. Use somebody else's name, but don't use God. But here's the thing. If you're a sinner, do it. But I'm like, if you're a Christian, Christian, stop, okay? Even though we use your God, don't say that. And I think this is a cultural thing because I can imagine people right now, and I've I've done it in the past where I go, what is the big deal? But at the end of the day, this is a principle that is a timeless principle that we're not going to lower something that is holy, that is other, and that is set apart, which is God. You need to honor that. And I know our culture super informal and super flippant and whatever. But be flippant but God, about everything yeah, else, but not God. Not God. And that's why we've devalued so much. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't like it when people fake speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I never have. I, I think it's it's profane. Yeah. I mean, that's a holy work of God that you would speak in a heavenly language that is given to you by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, where people make fun of the Holy Spirit or the things where you shouldn't do that. And I think even the way we treat like like the church building or whatever, the church is obviously the people. I'm not saying that the church building, whatever, 
But at the end of the day, it's a consecrated, it's a set apart place for the worship of God. And so in everything that we do, we should honor where the people of God gather. Don't Uh, treat it like dump. Don't trash it up. Don't leave maybe the cafe or whatever it is at your church where the people of God to gather together or, you know, whatever, like be respectful because this is where the people of God meet. At the end of the day, yes, it's a building, but it's been consecrated for a purpose. The building may be a building, but the people are holy. Yeah. We are holy. We are the saints of God. Mm-hmm. I, I, the Catholic Church didn't make me a saint. Jesus did. Yeah, li- that literally is translated holy ones. Yeah, if you read Ephesians, Paul says to the saints, mm-hmm. to the holy ones. He uses I mean, that a lot. Yeah. yeah, and so we're holy ones. That's what mm-hmm. saints means, holy ones. So we, when we come together, the Bible says that we are living stones that form a holy habitation that God comes down and, and yeah. dwells in. So God is in our midst as the people. Maybe not the building, but the people. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in a church service, that's why there are certain... That, that's why there are certain things that we've lost in our culture. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know that when I preach, and we had a guest speaker that did this. He does it at his church. Mm-hmm. I, when I read the text before I preach, I have people stand. They don't have to stand, but you know what? I'm t- training our congregation to say this is the word of God, the holy word of God. Let's stand in reverence to it. You can yeah. sit down while I preach, but let's just stand to it. And we had a, a, a preacher a few, well, now it's been a few weeks ago, but he came and preached and and he did the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's because you're saying this is there's no word like this word. It's just a recognition. And it's I, not like the Bible says every time it's read you well, have to you stand. It's something, but it's a there's a principle behind it's it. It's a principle that I do because yeah. for me as a pastor, I feel like I'm trying to counter. So for mm-hmm. me, number one, I respect the word of God and I see it as holy. But two, I'm trying to help my culture. I can only deal with my context. Yeah. But I'm trying to help people realize there are some things that just they demand respect and yeah. demand to be treated differently yeah. because it's God. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's ultimately those little acts. I don't think we realize how much that matters. It's those little acts that actually produces, um, I'm trying not to do an alliteration. Alliteration. It produces a perspective for a purpose. There you go. Anyway, like, that's a good alliteration it, right there. It, you know, it produces the way you see it. What I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's going to affect your thinking. Yes. You may think standing in church for the word of God may mean nothing, but it will actually form you and shape you over time after doing it to actually shape the way that you to think say this and do is scripture. the word of God is different. Yes. I laugh now because I have, we, we, we reached, you know, we reach so many people and we we're reaching your generation. We're reaching the millennials and th- th- there are a lot of people that, that are unchurched. Mm-hmm. And so thank God we're seeing a lot of them come here yeah. in the twenties and thirties. And I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm a proponent of it. I push for it, but I get tickled because I've got grown men in their twenties and thirties that are coming to church wearing hats. And I've even had people who visited who have said something about it because the, the the traditional concept is you don't wear a hat in church, you know. Well, again, this may sound like I'm being legalistic and nitpicking. I don't say anything to those people. I could very well go to the people and say, "Hey, would you take off your hat? Because we're we're in the house of God, you know. Have a, have some reverence for God." I don't because I what I know what happens is over time as I just keep preaching and they get the Lord will begin to help them to understand and learn more, but I'm just glad they're in church. Mm -hmm. So I don't make a big deal of it. But my point is it shows where our culture is that you've got people who come to church don't have enough sense to take their hat off Yeah, when you're in the house of God. So yeah, we're not going to be legalists and we're not going to, you know, my whole thing is you got to catch a fish before you can clean it. So my point is I just want to get them saved and I'll let the Lord work on them and I'll, I'll, but 
um, it's it's a cultural thing, and this is that's why this is a serious issue because it really isn't just a theology about who God is. It really ultimately trickles down. It really is a trickle. It flows into who we are as, as followers of Jesus Christ. And draw from from societal norms to help you understand holy or yeah understand honor of holiness. Like for instance, um, we don't have a lot of areas where we give that respect. But say during the national anthem, what do you do? You stand up, you take your hat off, and you put your hand over your heart. Do you have to? Does the law going to come after you? Is the government going to arrest you? No. But what are you doing? You're honoring. You're honoring the flag. You're honoring our country. You're honoring our principles. You're honoring our soldiers. Like the act itself doesn't do anything, but you're positioning yourself through the standing, through the hand over your heart. You're making a statement. Allow yourself to think of God's name in that way. So I don't use, oh my God, just the same way I stand up and put my hand over your heart because I want to honor something that's holy and that's sacred. And God, much more than the United than States the, than, of America. Yeah, the United States are a flag. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a, a divine, the only yes. divine being, and he should be treated differently. His yeah. name should be treated differently. It's that's that's what we're mm-hmm. saying today. Yeah, is you cannot make him like everything else or anything else mm-hmm. because you're profaning him. You're making him common. Yeah. So I think it was good that we talked about that yeah, because absolutely. that is a major issue in the mm-hmm. Bible, and that's why God's saying, "Don't make me like everything else." Yeah. Okay. Make me different. Don't make, I am. I'm different because I am. Don't try to make an image of me. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't try to cut out images or paint pictures of God. You you don't do that because you can't. He lives in unapproachable light. Mm-hmm. So you can't. You just, you let him You be. made pictures of Jesus as a human because, I mean, he and really did. And that's a did. guess, right? He's a human, <laughs> and that's a guess. And and I don't know if anybody's ever done an adequate job of that. But, um, yeah, he's God. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to, to, to make the distinction. So God can make something holy by his very presence, but then God also consecrates something for a holy purpose. He sets it aside for a holy purpose. So for instance, and you know, this is all Old Testament, but there's going to be a connection in the, the New Testament, but um, the priestly garments in the Old Testament, they were set apart. Why? For a holy purpose. The Levites and the priests are holy. Why? Because they were set apart for a holy purpose. The tabernacle was created and set apart for a holy purpose. The holy place and the most holy place in the tabernacle are, you guessed it, holy. The reason they are holy is because God took something normal, set it apart, and said, now this is going to be used for my holy purpose. Made made it special. Yeah. Made it special. Yeah. Okay. Like, if you have fine china and in everyday china, uh, if if you're you're listening and you remember your mom had the fine, she didn't pull the fine china mm-hmm. out every day. Yeah, you ate on the common plates every day. But if you had guests over, or it was Christmas mm-hmm. or a special, she pulled out the fine china because it was a special occasion. And same. they both do the same thing. They're both plates. They're both cups. They're right. both whatever. But, but they're the purpose. But they're treated different. Yes, they're used different mm-hmm. because they are designated as different. That's what we're saying is that God is different, should be treated different, and then when he designates as something different, then it should be treated different, mm-hmm. it should be perceived as different. In the Old Testament, it was clothes and a people, uh, one specific tribe. Yeah. The tribe of Levi didn't get a land. All the people got sections of land when they mm-hmm. went into the promising. Levites didn't. God said, you're mine. Yeah. I'm claiming you as mine, and the temple and is yours, and 
and uh, y- you can have some cities and property, but but you don't get an entire tribe. Your yeah. your job is to work in the temple. Yeah. So he me. designated that one one, uh, one out of the twelve tribes had a specific purpose mm-hmm. because he made them holy. And and you know we we fast forward that say what's the point? The point is in this New Testament we're holy. Yeah. We we are both made holy by God's presence, and we are set apart for a holy purpose exactly. in both ways. And yeah, and that, that's why I wanted to go over that because there's that direct connection that just like what God was doing in the Old Testament, he's doing in us and has done today. And those were types and shadows yeah. and symbols and representations that look forward to mm-hmm. Calvary. Yeah. And God did all that on purpose, yeah. just like the sacrifices and everything were symbols and types of Jesus coming to ultimately die, and that's why we don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And now we don't we don't have to consecrate. God doesn't consecrate you and I, and that we we have to we have to you know be stuck in a certain role, and we have yeah. to. There are certain clothes that you and I wear that God says wear this because it's holy, and it's it's we're, we're those things are now fulfilled in our in our relationship, relationship with yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They're fulfilled in that. And now who we are, what we mm-hmm. say, what we do is should be other than what we used to be in, in mm-hmm. when we're in sin. It is born again believers because we're different. Yeah. And and it's reflected uh by our lifestyle. So let's break it down. We are made holy as Christians now by God's presence and we are set apart for a holy purpose. So we're made holy by God's presence. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, this is becoming holy, essentially, by the spirit and belief in the truth. So what is he saying? That we are made holy we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You're, you have become the temple of God. God dwells in you. So you are made holy. First Peter 1, 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So we are saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but it's in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. That is when God's presence comes into our life, the the theological term is regeneration. You're born again. You're regeneration, regenerated. Paul says you're a new creation, that you are holy positionally in the way God sees you, but actually in the sense that you have new holy desires, holy wants, you know, holy thoughts. You are made into a brand new person through the indwelling presence and spirit of God in your heart. And let's just talk about that for a second, Evan. You're using the word sanctification. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, it was the word holy. I think it's kadash. In the Hebrew, yeah, Kadosh, and, yeah. it's hagios, if I remember, in the Greek. Mm-hmm. It, 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 holiness and sanctification are basically the same root word. Same concept. Same concept, yeah. same that hagios is, there's some variations in that Greek word, but it's all the same concept. It's set apart. Yeah. Set apart, set aside. Like we set the china aside, the fine china. Mm-hmm. I, I love that illustration because yeah. to me it works. We set apart the fine china. It's it's used for specific purposes, mm-hmm. not everyday purposes. This is for specific per okay. That's what he's saying is that yeah. when you were saved, you were sanctified. Yeah. Now think about it. Two things happened when you got saved. Your sins were washed away. Yeah. Okay. I've always said you can't be any more sanctified than the day and the moment when God saved you. You became morally pure. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You, you were changed and transformed, but your sins were washed away. You were reconciled to God. You were redeemed. Um, you were born again, and you were cleansed. So yeah. you become morally pure at that point. Can't get any more sanctified. All right. But not only were you morally pure, but you were set apart from that life of sin. You're not in that life anymore. Now you're set apart mm-hmm. unto God to live a holy life, to live a life of obedience, which is what you just read. Yeah. There's a distinct, that's why people who say, well, I got saved, but they're still shacked up and living with somebody and sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend or smoking marijuana or getting drunk. You're not saved. Yeah. When you get saved, your life changes because you become something other than what you were. So you don't say those things, do those things anymore. And true people get saved. I'll tell you that. They'll say, I didn't, I stopped doing those. Nobody had to tell me. Mm-hmm. I stopped doing them because I didn't want to do them. And I knew that wasn't me anymore. I was somebody different. And I think a way of Christians correcting other Christians, I don't have the exact passages in front of me. I think the apostle Paul does this with the Corinthians, that when Christians begin acting non-Christians, his argument is you're not living up to your identity. You're saints, you're holy ones, but you're not acting holy. This isn't you anymore. Stop doing this. Yeah. It's live up to your new identity in Christ. Be holy because you're called holy by Jesus. Well, he said you were, and then he lists all these things. Yep. But then you he were says, these things. Yeah. You were, but then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Yep. You were justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. So there's this once but now. Yeah. Once but now. You go to Colossians two. He said, "You were this, but now you are yeah. something else." There's a there's a significant mm-hmm. alteration and change, transformation that happens, and and so I'm a different person. Uh, Paul said that you're to put off your old man, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, and be made new in the attitude of your mind, and put on the new man, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's good. So that's the that's the standard. Yeah. And, and and so there's a standard for us, mm-hmm. which is holiness. I hope I'm not taking this concept too far. I just kind of had this thought as we come out of the Christmas season. It's interesting that you know in the Old Testament God's presence makes something holy, and in the Christmas season, the, the divine joins himself to humanity. That the God Jesus Christ becomes the God man. And so what has fallen into sin and become unholy and all of these things, God actually joins Himself to humanity in the man, Jesus Christ, kind of making that way for us to become a holy people again. Someone asked uh, Augustine, Ooh. I'm not going to say Augustine, Augustine, um, does the fish, what he thought of the fish symbol? And he thought it was very appropriate because he said, Christ came to this earth in the form of flesh and as a fish swam in the depths of our sin and humanity. Mm. He was able to come and swim in the depths of our humanity. And that's what he did, but he yeah. came sinless and pure. The, the depths and sinless sinfulness of humanity did not touch him. And the only time it touched him is when he allowed it to, when he went to the cross, and he who knew no sin, a holy God, yeah. became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that's that we good. might be made holy. Yeah. It's crazy. Like Since the fall of Adam, he was the first holy human being. Yeah. on the earth through his sin, sinless life. Which makes him the second Adam, according to Paul. Absolutely. Um, but not only are we actually made holy by God's presence, meaning that we're regenerated, we're made new, we're a new creation, we have new desires, you know, in actuality, 
but we're set apart for a holy purpose. These two clearly go together, that God calls us not just to experience a change, but to actually live out that change and live as people who are separate, who are different, and who model the holiness of God in the world. So um, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the apostle Peter here is taking what we what we what we read earlier from the Old Testament and saying, God told his people, Israel, be holy for I'm holy. The command stays the same. And although you've been actually changed, made a new creation, born again into a saint, a holy one, you've now got to live that out. You've got to make that choice to live out what you've been created to be and so in that, Christ. And Yeah, exactly. That's it. And so that our listeners can have it, because sometimes things can get too broad and you're like, you know, I'm not sure. Let me just keep it real simple for you. The holiness just, again, how can I be holy? Mm -hmm. He just said it in all your conduct. Okay. So this means it has to be all encompassing, all all persuasive, uh, pervasive. It has to be in every area, what you say, what you do, how you think, how you react, where you go Mm -hmm. in all your conduct. Okay. Two things: don't be conformed to the to your former life. So don't act like you did when you were a sinner. Yeah. Anymore. And second, be obedient. That's how you live holy. Is just obey Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you, who is holy. Yeah, literally the Holy Spirit enables you, empowers <laughs> you, equips yeah. you, gives you the capacity to say no to sin and say yes to God and do the right thing. And he said, "Your former ignorance." which I think is really important that we're made wise through Christ. We can see through the lies of the devil now and through the revelation of Christ and God's holy word, we can know what the right thing to do is. And so if you're ever wondering like, what is the right thing to do? We're not ignorant anymore. We've been made to see the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's given us the truth in the word. He is the word, as John says. And so um, well, that's why, we can see the way. Yeah, and let me just interrupt you. That's why you got to read a holy Bible yeah. if you want to live a holy life. Because if you are ignorant, you didn't grow up in church, or you just because whatever, you didn't pay attention in church, and you've listened to a lot of culture, mm-hmm. and cultures of sinful culture in this world is influenced on how you live. I mean, I have, I've had recently, within the last <laughs> couple months, young adults who— I think if they're just having they're clueless. Yeah. But they've come to church here and I've had several couples that are living together. Well, I've preached and with love and you know, I preach in love and grace, but I preach straight mm-hmm. and I'm 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 an authority figure and I'm I'm very paternal because I'm old enough to be all these people's father, but but I speak the word of God. I talk about how that's sin and how that's wrong. And I've had them who come up to me and say, "You know, we didn't even think about it because yeah. in our culture this is Normal. what you do." Yeah. You just, before you get married, you move in, and you're helping us to see that that's not God's way. And I, I had one couple, uh, they came up like the next Sunday. They told me, they came the next Sunday, and she's wearing a wedding uh, engagement band. I said, what's up? They said, I bought her engagement band, and we're getting married. We're going to the judge this week. We're getting married. That's we're awesome. We're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Now, see, that's holiness, mm-hmm. but that's the ignorance. That's why uh, pastors, if there's any pastors listening, you, you your job is to preach the word. 
Your yeah. job's not to pander. Your job's to preach and let the chips fall. Yeah. Because if you don't, who's going to? Government? No. Educational systems in America, public schools? No. Businesses? No. All they care about is the bottom line. Who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. That's our calling is we preach it. Well, some people won't like it. Well, that's not your fault. Your job is to answer to God, not to anybody else, but help them to see. Speak yeah. the truth in love, and they will, they'll see that you're, all you're doing is just trying to help them to find the way with God, and, and people will respond, and they'll love you for it. They'll be grateful to you because they say, you're helping me to be holy. The world will not like the truth that you speak, but true, honest Christians who may be ignorant, who may grow up in the world, who may be baby Christians, the Holy Spirit inside of them will rise up and make them holy. He will make it make sense. Just like that yeah. couple you were talking about, it will click in their brains and says, wait a minute, I don't need to do this. And through your preaching, through your holy you know, ex- exposition of God's word, the Holy Spirit in them will make it click and yes. it'll make it work. Yeah. Um, just on that same topic, Hebrews twelve fourteen, strive for peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I think that's an important verse that maybe we don't talk about. Um, we very much talk about you know the what we call the imputed righteousness, the for, the forgiveness of your sins, the way God sees you as a holy one. But it's very clear that they said you've got to live holy. The author of Hebrews says nobody's going to see the Lord if you're not living it out. I don't mean you're earning your salvation by any means, but the sign of a true Christian is that you really are in actuality, not just declared forgiven of your sins, but actually living away from your sins and living for Jesus. Um, and I was kind of going to save this to last, but but I'll go ahead and address it now. If you read, there's some Old Testament passages, and I'm thinking it's Isaiah that talks about the future, the millennial reign, and even beyond that. Mm-hmm. And it says that like on the horses' bridles and on the pots and pans in the temple, and, there's, and of course, all those are symbolic. It says it is written on those holiness unto the Lord. Wow. So that the characteristic of heaven and the future of glory, of the glorified saints and the new heavens and the new earth of the millennial reign is that it will be all about the holiness of God. So if you want to make it to heaven— because that's the starting point. First, you got to make it to heaven, yeah. and all those things will eventually play out. You've got to understand that the whole context of God and His heaven and His future as a glorified saint is holiness. I mean, that is honestly the point of this whole thing. If you just want to get down to it, that's the point of that's the point of it all. If we're sinners and we're infected by sin, and sin is destroying and ruining the world. It's not the point to get that out of us. Yes, because if you're going to make it to heaven, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. If you're going to see Jesus, you got to be holy. you got to be other than a sinner. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and so that's a saint. That's a born-again, redeemed, obedient child of God who's walking in relationship with him. You fail. You keep short accounts with God. Say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And the Lord washes you and cleanses you. You just stay in that relationship with him until the day you die until Jesus comes. And when you stand before him, that's how you get to heaven is you got to be holy. And it's not a manufactured holiness. Like you said, it's Mm -hmm. not works. It's not legalism. It's me walking and living in relationship, walking and living in Christ. Okay, doing these things by the help and the strength of the Spirit of God who lives in me, mm-hmm. I can do it. I can. You can live right every day. You can go all day without sinning. Yeah. Some people think you can. I'm I feel, like I feel so sorry for you. It's not evidently you're leaning on yourself so much. 
you can go and you should go all day without sinning mm-hmm. because you have God inside of you helping you to do it. Yeah. But when you do sin, you keep short accounts with God. And one of these days you'll make it and you get to heaven because you said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be different than sin. And those are the people, the people in heaven are different. Yeah. Yeah, they are. That's why no sinner will make it. Sinners think, well, I'll make it to heaven. You know, I'll, I'll negotiate with God or whatever. No, you won't. No impure thing will mm-hmm. get in his presence. But our confidence is that God's plan for our life is to be holy, and you can be. The Apostle Paul said, um, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Yeah, that's what God wants. In Thessalonians. And you know, I'm not going to say it's not ever, it's going to be easy or instant, or you're immediately going to become a perfect person. There may be some things God has to get out of you. The Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. You may go through some discipline, like a parent lovingly disciplines their child to stop doing stupid stuff, but eventually you're going to become more and more and more holy because that's God's will for your life. Like we come at it not with like cynicism and I'll always be stuck, but with faith. Like I'm joined with Christ now and that guy never sinned. I am, I've got the Holy Spirit in my life living inside of me and he is holy. Like come at this full of faith going, I'm going to get past this and whatever sin cycle I've stuck been stuck in my whole life, I'm a Christian now and I'm moving on from this. This is the will of God. There are two young women in our church. They're, they're in their twenties that um, God has just worked on that. But both of those young women would tell you they grew up in church, they backslid and they were living sinful lifestyle. If you knew what they were doing, it would be embarrassing. Okay, but God got a hold of them and dealt with them, and they repented, truly repented. And I and I ministered to both of those women in the altars, and I looked at them, and I said something to both those women with a challenge. I said, "Be a woman of God," mm-hmm. and that you could see that resonated with them. It's a calling to something more than a sinful lifestyle that's wretched, it makes you feel guilty and miserable and full of shame, and you're afraid you're going to die and wake up in hell. It's just a horrible way to live. Mm-hmm. And yet they repented, and I said to them, here's, here's what you do. Go be a woman of God. Yeah. And I've watched those two young women now as they are living for Jesus. And they, they quit, you know, when you say, and you stop coming to church, they're coming to church, they're coming to every special event. And I look back and I see them with their hands raised and they're crying and just praising Jesus because Jesus has saved them and they're different and they're holy. And it just gets all over me. But that was the, my call to them was be holy. That's what I was saying to them. Don't yeah. don't be a sinful woman. Be a woman of God. And you can do it. And you can do it. And yeah. they're doing it. And they're finding I can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I feel God just sitting here talking about this. I don't know if y'all feel it through this podcast, but I feel the Lord right now. I mean, God's raising up a generation of people who say, you know what? I'm going to be different. I'm going to mm-hmm. be countercultural. And it's not just to be different and yeah. be counter. I'm not some social justice warrior. That's It's not about that. Yeah. I am redeemed. I am transformed. I am made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care about anybody who says. That's, all I care about is what God says. Yeah, Those are the people that turn the world upside down. Speak to yourself who God says you are. I, I- I kind of understand there are certain Christians who will call themselves, you know, sinners, even while they're Christians. No. I'm just a lowly sinner. No. Don't use that language. No, I'm a sinner the, saved by grace. I hate no. that saying. The oh, Apostle Paul it. says, you are a saint. You are a holy one. You were washed. You were justified. You were yep. sanctified. You are 
in, you are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are right. you can put on Christ like you put on a jacket in the morning and live the victorious life that he lived. That's who you are. Don't fall short of that. You have a new identity. You're born again. You're yep. a new creation. You're a new person. The old person died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Yep. Be done with that. Exactly. You can be. I think so. that's a good way to end right there. Awesome. All right, here we are back with the bonus question segment. Ding, 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 ding. We need to get some like theme music for that or something. Do we like, get a little bell and ding it? Ding, yeah, ding, 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 ding. or like da 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 da. What is that Family Feud? <laughs> we we really need some game show music. I was gonna for say this. we just came full circle to a game show thing again. Hey, we have got a good question today. It is it is spooky and spicy, and so we are excited for this one. I'm going to read the question. There are a couple of typos. That's okay. So I'm going to try and correct it here and there. It's a long question. So just lean in, listen. We're going to do our best to answer this question and answer it semi quickly. All right, you ready? The question is, if we're all made in the image of God and God created all of us, how come Lucifer revolted? If God is all-knowing, wouldn't he have known that Lucifer was going to revolt? How and why would a peaceful God allow for one of his creations to revolt and cause so much hate? If he had not created Lucifer, I wonder if he would ever become, you know, Satan, the devil, evil. That would have rectified the situation, and Adam and Eve would have never even been tempted. So the question is, why in the world would God create Satan knowing that Satan would sin, and then Satan would then tempt Adam and Eve. Therefore, now sin has entered the world. Wouldn't a good God, a peaceful God, a loving God never have done something that would have affected his creation? I think this is a question we've all asked, we've all wondered, we've all thought through. What in tarnation was God thinking? What is tarnation? I've I've always wondered what tarnation is. Is that the is that the North Carolina Tar Heels? Tar, I have fans, no clue. The Tar Nation. I think they're Tar Heel Nation. Tiger Nation for Clemson, and the Tar Nation for the. All right. So, what do you, what do you think? Oh, okay. So, um, I'll say this: the, the 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 argument that because God knows something bad is going to happen, that He shouldn't do it isn't necessarily a good argument, and here's why. is because when we look in Genesis, when God creates everything, did he create most of it good? Did he create 90% of it good? Created all good. He created everything everything good. And so when God created something, yes, he knew something bad was going to happen, but his work in that was 100% good. Now, we know that Satan had free will as well as Adam and Eve had free will. And when God created both Satan and Adam and Eve, he looked at his creation. He said, it's all good. It's a part of God's good plan that both Satan and Adam and Eve and all of humanity would be created with free will. It also means that God did not create evil. Some people want to say God created evil. Evil is not a substance. Evil is not something. Evil is the lack of good. 
Evil is the absence of good. And so that guy, Ansem, we talked about him for a while, Ansem of Canterbury, asked this question. He wrote a book on the fall of the devil. And what he essentially said is God created everything good. And what Satan did is because evil is the absence of something, is Satan chose to set his goodness aside for the pursuit of something good, which is to be like God, but he pursued it in the wrong way. So Satan, instead of being like God, enjoying God, being satisfied by God, took that good desire and extended it to wanting to be God. And in doing that, he set his natural goodness and obedience aside, which you could not get back. That's a philosophical way of thinking through it. But the point that Anselm was trying to make is God didn't create evil Satan set aside his goodness. Evil is the absence of goodness. So Satan was able to take being a good creation in a perfectly good world, take a good desire to enjoy God and be like God to actually want to become God. Yeah, God isn't in like how I would word it is people want to say, well, he may not have made Satan an evil angel, but because he permitted it, isn't he indirectly responsible? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to find that purpose again, the why, because that's what I think our yeah. listener is asking is why, why? Well, again, because like you said, God knows everything doesn't mean that God doesn't control, even though he is a sovereign God, um, with all due respect to our Calvinist brothers and sisters, he doesn't control us like we're a bunch of robots. Yeah, um, And that's where I think where our Arminian kind of thought, Wesleyan thought is, you you have a choice, and it, that choice can still fall within his sovereign reign. And so he knew when he created the angels. I think there was a point when there were no angels. Yeah. There was, where there was nothing, just There's God. just God. <laughs> okay. So God has always existed, and he is reality. But at some point, and God is a God of fellowship, mm-hmm. so it may be that he created the angels because he wanted someone to love didn't need somebody to love, but he wanted somebody. But he wanted somebody to love. He doesn't need anything yeah. or else he wouldn't be God. And so he made them good. Mm-hmm. I would imagine they were all good. Um, but there must have been free will because Lucifer, and, and evidently it seems a third of those angels, if we correlate that with the book, that, with Revelation, um, made a choice, a decision to... Uh, rebel, because that, that's, I think the words used, they rebelled against mm-hmm. uh, the authority of God, the rule of God. And basically, uh, they must have been, they, they must, their allegiance must have been to Lucifer, and uh, Lucifer's allegiance came to himself. Yeah. And so the five I wills in, uh, where is that? Ezekiel, one of them's Isaiah, one of them's Isaiah, yeah. I guess. I think it's Isaiah. I, I will ascend to the, the mountain of the north. I will raise my throne above the throne of God. I will be like God. Uh, that the, the sin was the I, 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 I. Mm-hmm. Okay, once you focus on self and no longer focus on God, that's when you begin to sin because then you will move outside of what God has said and what God wants. And so he, he uh, violated his purpose. And uh, once he left his purpose um, and disobeyed God, then... That was the point where he became a sinner, a sinful angel, fallen angel. And so I think the question, what it kind of gets down to is this, why did God create it? Well, God created something that was good. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like the only other option was for him to not give Satan free will is what it sounds like, or humanity free will. 
but it, it was a part of God's good plan to give us free will for us to be created beings, both in angels and humans, that genuinely obey and serve God, not just objects. And God said that was good. And and again, and we're st- and if you're listening right now, we're we're keeping it simplistic on purpose. Yes. I'm not. We yeah. haven't. Uh, you know, we we spend a lot of time studying theologically for the, our main topics. This but, is a very philosophical subject, right? By the and way. so I'm not sitting here quoting a bunch of theologians. We're talking simply because we want to keep it simple. We're, yeah. we're being intentional here. But God, again, let me go back. God doesn't want to create robots. Mm-hmm. He wants to have a relationship with us. Because we want to have a relationship with him, because we we love him, we he loves us, and he wants us to reciprocate that love. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us to obey him because we have to. He wants us to obey him because we want to, mm-hmm. and because we love him, and we're committed to him, and we worship him. And look, two thirds of the angels in the heaven kept doing that. Yeah, they chose to, but Satan, Lucifer, and, the, and those angels chose not. He and he gave them that capacity, but he knew. That when they did, it would cost them. Okay, now he could have just wiped them out, but he also knew that because the harmony of heaven was disrupted, that he would he would take another step of creation and create all the universe in this little globe called Earth, and he would put Adam and Eve there, made in his image. I don't know that the angels. There's nowhere in the Bible um, that says the angels are made in the image of God. Yeah, I don't think they are. It we says never they're made that. a little lower than God. Oh well, no, we're made a little, we're lower, made than the a angels, little lower than but the angels. But they're they're made, yeah. They're they're not, yeah. We're made a little lower than the angels, rather. Let me get that right. But there's nowhere in the Bible that says they are made like the image of God. The only place that I know of that anyone's made in the image of God is us. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so he creates man. So so that may have been the thing that Lucifer Lucifer says, man, I'm just an angel. I want to be God. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want, and I don't, I, I don't want to be like him. I, I, I just don't want to be like him. I want to be him. Yeah. And and here's the thing: is that sin, Lucifer fell with that sin, the pride and the selfishness and the desire to be in charge and being mm-hmm. controlled and be the the one at the helm rather than submitting to to the lordship of of God. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. I know. And then Satan comes down, and I think he hated the fact that they got what he didn't. Yep. And so he said, well, I disrupted the harmony of heaven. I'm going to disrupt the harmony of paradise. And he got down there, and he tried to mess up the very same thing. He's the same lie. You can be like God. You can be God. And the reality was they were already like God. Yeah. But but he hated God so much uh, because at that point, Evil. He became evil. He was good, but in his choice, he turned to the dark side. Sad. Like all the Vader. way, like yeah, like Darth Vader. He turned all the way to the dark side, um, and and so I think that's what happened there. There's no redemption for Satan, mm-hmm. but there is redemption for us. Um, that's why Jesus didn't become the God Angel. Yeah. And die on the cross for the angels, but he did become a God man, mm-hmm. and he died for us. So there's no redemption for the angels. Yeah, hell is. Um, the Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Yeah. Jesus said that in the Gospels. So their 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 punishment is, is set, um, and he knew that. And I think he knew that Satan would serve a purpose. So I think this is the other thing that our listeners wanting to know is why he could have just wiped them out, but he said, you know what, I'm going to create man. And uh, I'm going to have them have a free will, but I'll let Satan served as the tempter and the accuser, 
and uh, they'll see what decision they make. See what decision they make again, because I don't want them serving me just because they have to. Mm-hmm. They're, I'm gonna let them be tempted. And, and I I'm, and I think the difference between the devil and between humanity is that the devil invented this all on his own. And I think there's maybe even a way in which God sees him as like even more like you knew, you knew, bro, right from wrong. You did not have to do this. Where humanity was deceived. Eve was deceived from an outside source, right? which is Satan. And so I think there's a difference there. Satan did this all in his own counsel and will and everything else. Humanity still made the decision. It doesn't make us any less guilty, but it came from that outside source, Yeah, which I think is, I think that's an interesting point. It is. That's a really good point. Uh, And then God, so God extended grace and mercy rather than instant judgment. The day you've eaten of it, you shall surely die. Well, they could have died right then and he sent them to hell. Mm -hmm. But instead he promised them the the coming of the seed of the woman who would redeem mankind. Mm-hmm. So the Lord had all, you know, Jesus is this lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. So all the way back before all any of this was ever created, God knew that he would create the angels. He knew Lucifer would, would fall. He said, I'll use him for a purpose. He knew he would create man. I'll let Lucifer and the angels serve as a tempter um, so that man will have to choose as well. Mm-hmm. But I'll send Jesus to, to, to redeem them and, and to do a work in them that one day— in glorification, we will we will be. I don't know if we'll be like the angels. Jesus said, you know, one point he said that we're neither married or given in marriage, but yeah, we're like the angels like the of heaven. Angels, but yeah. maybe in glory, we we'll probably be be greater than the angels because mm-hmm. the angels long to look into this thing called redemption. Yeah. So I think maybe in a sense we're greater than the angels in that sense. Um, uh, and and then one day there'll be God. Knew, you say, why did He create Lucifer? Because God knew there one there'd be a day when Lucifer would be done. Yeah. And and one of these days he'll be thrown into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. That'll be the end of him. And I think it's important too to note that when we say God foreknew all of this, he just knew what was going to happen, but we didn't have to sin. Satan didn't have to sin, nor did humanity have to sin. Nope. God just knew the decision that we would make. And it's really difficult and it's really philosophical. And I imagine God's really the only one who's going to truly understand the the consequences of being someone who knows everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean I like I can't I can't process having foreknowledge of which I literally know everything and not just like a fortune teller. God's literally outside of time. He's not bound by space and time. God knows everything because he's everywhere in all places in all times. So for us to sit there and go, well God knew what was going to happen by his foreknowledge. Well, God didn't predestine for this to happen. He didn't force Satan to sin and humanity sin against our will. And two, I don't. I think we're going to have to approach this topic with a level of humility and go, we are not God, never will be God, and we're not sure how it plays out, allowing human choice, allowing free will, knowing literally everything that could happen. I just think we're going to have to come to that and go, we're not God. Right, because <laughs> the complexity of God, because here's what our listener is probably thinking and what, you know, with, hey, if I knew in advance, let's say, <clears throat> I'd have stopped not. it. Yeah. I'd have stopped it. Yeah. Or I wouldn't have created them. I'd have chose a different option. Or I'd create them in a way where I'd have said, okay, no free will for you. Yeah. No soup for you. You know, <laughs> Seinfeld there. No soup for you. No free will for you. That's our thinking mm-hmm. because we want to stop it. Yeah. But God seeing the whole picture, because our problem is we don't see the whole picture. We're limited. We're finite. Mm-hmm. But God saw all the way into the eons of eternity. 
And he said, you know, I'm going to let this thing play out. I can use what Satan's done. I can use him. He's, he's a tool. Yeah. I'm just going to use him as a tool. But then I, that day will come and I'll end it. And then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And anything evil and bad will be thrown into the lake that burns with fire, brimstone, and there's going to be a fresh start again. Mm-hmm. And as we said in the episode with the angels, I think God has done something in the angels that that there's a that they'll never there's not the capacity for them to do that again. And I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there it's clear there are sentient, smart beings. I mean, any I mean, I, I think they're either locked into their free choice or they just learned. I mean, they're just. They've just pledged their allegiance. But I think if we are able to approach in glory and say, hey, we'll never sin again, yeah. I think it's possible that there was some sort of something in the angels that God said, make your decision and lock it in now. Is this your final answer? And they said, yes, and now they won't fall in. And then we'll have to get to heaven to find, to find out the answer to that one. But hey, whoever sent that question in, thank you for sending that question. That is Good that is a great question. That's deep. And it's it's those kind of questions we enjoy like answering and thinking through and talking about, I guarantee you're not the only one who has asked that question before. So thank you so much for sending that in. But thanks for listening to this episode today. We hope that you've enjoyed it and learned from it. Um, Give us a rating, review us, share it, send it to somebody that's in need. Use it as a resource you know, what, whatever, feel free um, to use it. And, and, and encourage people, tell people about our podcast. Please do, yeah. I do that, all, and people tell me they start listening. Mm-hmm. So if you would, just tell people and say, hey, listen to this. This is really good. And uh, the more listeners we have that's, to us, that's that's exciting. We just want to help people. Yeah. We literally get nothing from this. Yeah, we just, we <laughs> we just inter- want to help people. We just want to help people. We can have fun. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, uh, but thanks so much for listening. And if you want your question answered um, at the end of an episode like we just did, find us at High Praises Church based out of Anderson, South Carolina on Facebook or Instagram and send us a direct message. Just say, hey, this is for the podcast. I've got a number of questions. You can send one question in. You can send a thousand questions in. Um, whatever it is, just send that question in. We'd love to answer it. And if it's like a really, really, really good one, we may even make an entire episode on it. So make sure you send those questions in. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month.